Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome, everybody, to The Lake Show. Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. And uh, for the next two hours, we are mostly going to talk sports. I am told that... Former President Trump is going to talk at some point and that we're going to take that. So he is supposed to talk at eight o'clock. Not really sure if that's actually when he will take the microphone or if it will be between seven and nine or if it's just uh, all rally before that. And then who knows what else. But just so you know, at some point he's going to speak and we will have that here on WCCO. Results pending. Yeah, results. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but uh, otherwise, we are going to mostly focus on the sports world. So uh, I asked Paul Hodewanik, who's doing the news update and the weather there, to stick around because he is relevant in this conversation, in part because of his age, but also because he works with me at Purple Insider, which is my, uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, website, podcast, media conglomerate, I suppose you could go with if you want to. Uh, but that's that's where I cover the Minnesota Vikings for Purple Insider. And Paul is a weekly contributor on the podcast and also a terrific writer. So check that out, purpleinsider.com. But is also quite a bit younger than I am and also maybe less jaded than lots of other Minnesotans. So here's my question, Paul, for the night. And we're going to have Eric Eager on, former pro football focus analyst, also Jace Frederick to talk a little basketball in the second hour. Uh I want to know, Paul, what the right amount of jaded is for Minnesota Vikings fans because 8-1 is causing people to have some problems. You have either the people who have decided that anyone who didn't think they would be 8-1 is a hater and those people need to be attacked on the Internet for hating, for not being believers. You have those people. You have the other folks who are waiting for the other shoe to drop. I got a tweet yesterday that uh, from a person who said, look, I don't even care what happened in Buffalo. Show me a Super Bowl, which just seems deranged to me. But actually, both of those things seem deranged. So that's consider it your jaded spectrum. Like you have the political spectrum on one side. It's the person who demands that you believe every single year that they will win every game. And if you don't, then you've got a problem. And then the other person who says, I don't even want to watch any game this year. I don't care how they win, who they beat, who's playing on the team. Wake me up only if they are playing February, whatever it is. So uh, I want to know where you stand on that spectrum, Paul, and where people should stand on that spectrum with the 2022 Minnesota Vikings. Oh, man. I think it would be a a pretty joyless existence to just wake me up when the Super Bowl comes. Uh, I think part of 
an eight and one season is you get to enjoy the fact that eight out of nine weeks you've been able to go to work on Monday and brag about the Vikings winning eight of those weeks. Like it's it's part of the ride. It's part of the enjoyment. Only one team gets to win the Super Bowl at the end of the year. Obviously, that's the goal that you should and. I mean, that's how you should measure success is whether you can make the Super Bowl and how far you can make it. But you gotta, you gotta enjoy the ride. Now, I'm I'm open to a strong level of jadedness, though, and I think stemming from being a true-born, you know, Minnesotan fan of all the teams, like it's the Vikings stuff, but it's also they were promised the Timberwolves were going to be good this year. They're not very good. The how long has it been since the Twins won a playoff game? Very much a long time. So. There's more than just the Vikings baked in, I think, to this. Uh, and given their history, uh, the Blair Walsh field goal, the letdown in Philadelphia after the miracle, if you want to date it even further back to the missed field goals of the past that have really hurt them, the Brett Favre year in 09, like, there are plenty of reasons why you, why a Vikings fan just assumes it's going to come crashing down. They haven't really ever seen it not come crashing down. So... I don't blame them for any sort of jadedness, but if it's going to go rise to the level of not enjoying a good season, that's where I think it has to stop because you just got to enjoy it for what it is. It's you know, like you're you're eight and one. You're been much happier than you've only really had one one game one week where you've had to be sad about losing to the Eagles. And so I don't think you have to say this team. You have to respect this team because they obviously still have their limitations, but. You got to enjoy it. You got to enjoy it while it happens, too. I think it was a good litmus test, the game against Buffalo, because if you can't look at that game and go, wow, I will be talking about that one forever with my friends, that 20 years from now, you'll be in a bar and meet somebody and be like, hey, remember when like Duke Shelley came in at the right? Like, if you're not the person who's can, getting excited about that, and watching that to the very end and living and dying with every failed attempt at a quarterback sneak of which I've never thought it possible to have back-to-back failed quarterback sneaks and it wasn't even the craziest thing that happened in that game. If you can't get excited about how that thing went and how that thing ended and also looking at those guys, looking at the sideline, looking at Patrick Peterson, watching the reactions to Justin Jefferson's catch and Delvin Cook's 81-yard touchdown. If you can't get a little pumped up for that, like, whoa, there's something about this team. There's a reason they're winning these close games or whatever. Just, like, what this could be is really interesting. If you're not at least there, then you might, I don't know, just, like, pick another team to just, like, Kansas City maybe. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, is there another Is there another sport? Like, you can't just follow LeBron um, I remember hearing that Bryce Harper was a Cowboys and Yankees fan or something like, maybe you just follow Bryce Harper. Like, this is not for you. You can't take this. You, your, your heart and your emotions cannot take the Minnesota Vikings if you cannot get excited for what happened on Sunday. I also think that there are people who are very analytical, and you and I are both like that. We both like to look at pro football focus, football outsiders, the data-driven analysis of the league. And when you look at those and then you match them up with what you know, if you're using an unbiased eye, there's some things there about this team that would say 
that maybe it's not as good as it looks. And that's not to say they didn't beat Buffalo, because that's where it goes to another level from that conversation. You just beat one of the best teams in the league. But on the whole, the bigger picture is your offensive and defensive efficiency, neither one of them ranks at the top of the league. Usually that's what it takes. You look at one-score games. All of last year, I heard about how luck was driving one-score games. And everybody was saying that, like the analytical people. Well, you know, this Vikings team is just getting unlucky at the end of games. And this year, all of their wins, except for one, are by one score. And you can't not say that out loud if you've been through all the other things before. I think there's a person in the middle of the conversation who is bracing for the possibility of a second-half fade, or of the uh, the worst person possible getting hurt. I'm not going to say who that is out loud, but we all know who that is out loud or quietly. We all know who I'm talking about, but an injury, a, a first round where the wrong team, <clears throat> San Francisco, comes here and beats you and you're disappointed and you're broken. I mean, we were talking before we went on about a couple of teams in recent years who have had amazing runs in the regular season and then in the first round they're just out like the New Orleans Saints against the Vikings 2019 Uh, but then there were even teams that were kind of a mirage through the regular season like the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2020 that got blown out by the Cleveland Browns and then the Tennessee Titans last year a team that you looked at their roster and how their stats looked you went like "I I don't get it where did they get all these wins and a lot of them were turnovers like the Vikings have had a ton of I mean you give up 400 and something yards to one player and win the game. Usually that doesn't happen, but you got the turnovers. The guy's not ruled down. Instead, it's ruled a fumble, and you get that. You get one of the Bills players steps out of bounds, and then Patrick Peterson, because he doesn't have to guard that guy, comes back and makes a play. Like There's so many things that have gone right for them. So I think that you can very reasonably understand all the things you talked about. That in the past with this team, they've Charlie Browned a million times with pulling the football out before you you actually get there. But also I think that if you watch that thing and you look at this team and you don't think, uh, yeah, there's something different about this this team. There's a lot of great players on this team. There's Hall of Famers. There's all pros. There's pro bowlers. And the coach has them all playing together. I think if you're ignoring that, then you're probably too jaded. Then you've reached a point of like, Either either you need to change your mentality a little bit or go root for the Red Sox or something, or the Yankees. Like, go find a front-running team to love. Houston, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, like, what's the point of being a fan of the team if you're going to spend the entire time waiting for the time where they come and, and crash and burn? And so, yeah, for all the reasons we've laid out, you should have some skepticism, but don't let that cloud from the miraculous game that was the Buffalo Bills game, the best game since the Minneapolis Miracle game, if you're a Viking fan, uh, the best game we've seen in a in a really, really long time. Uh, and so I, I think being jaded is just in Minnesotan's nature, and it's it, it's kind of like you're, you're hedging for what could possibly happen and for 95% of teams does happen. And so my dad is a very, very old jaded Packers fan, and after every year... Uh, when they keep going 13-3 and three and then lose in the first round, he just can't take it. Uh, and so this year, he's just stopped watching. Uh, he, before the season, he stopped watching because he he was wake me up when the playoffs happen. And so I think 
that's just not enjoying the season. You got to enjoy the ride. You have to enjoy that win and and see where it can take you. That just get into music or something. I mean, like I don't know, raise farm dogs. I, I like do so, find some other hobby because you just can't take football. That's it's too it's too much for you if you can't just like watch your team and get excited when they win and then be hopeful that it goes somewhere. But also, I think there's an argument for saying like I don't know. Uh, but it's, it is funny, Paul, that you and I are very separated uh, in age, uh, and yet um, I think everyone, what ties them together is all the bad things that have happened to the sports teams. And so there is part of it where it's like, I wouldn't tell you to completely let it go. I wouldn't tell you to completely get rid of that. Uh, Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. We're going to take a quick break here. We will return and talk with Eric Eager, formerly of Pro Football Focus, now of Sumer Sports, and we will ask him he is a Minnesotan, by the way. Uh, we'll ask him what is the right level of jaded about the Minnesota Vikings. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Lake Show. Matthew Collar filling in for Henry Lake. What is the right amount of jaded about the 2022 Minnesota Vikings? And, and I get what Paul is saying, and it really is remarkable how many times this town does hype. Nobody does hype. Like Minnesota, you get Carlos Correa. It's like, oh, all right. This guy's a real superstar, folks. We finally got our guy. Uh, but the guy before that was Josh Donaldson. And then, you know, Rudy Gobert. Like, well, look, yes, we did give away all of our draft picks. Yes, we did give away key role players that helped us get to the playoffs and came within an inch of beating a tremendous Memphis team. But have you seen how tall he is? Uh, I mean, he'll block everybody. And uh, even when he does, it still doesn't seem to matter that much. Unless Donovan Mitchell's not playing for Cleveland, then the Minnesota Timberwolves can win. And I could see the Timberwolves turning it around and gelling together. But there are things happening with that team, and we're going to talk about that in the second hour, that you just go like, this can't possibly be good. This can't possibly be a team that can overcome anything when Anthony Edwards doesn't want to play defense or even most possessions unless he's going to score. And uh, you could actually say the same thing for Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. Is he supposed to come in and be the leader of a team that's mostly been together? It's just a very uncomfortable situation that nobody seems happy with. And Anthony Edwards, did someone call him first before trading for someone that was going to clog up the lane? I think he has like four dunks this year or something. I mean, it's just a very, very uncomfortable situation. But, but they had a press conference that was really good. Everyone got very excited about that press conference. And anytime you can win the press conference, well, you got to do it if you're a Minnesota sports team. It's just remarkable how often this happens. And I don't know why it would be pervasive through all of the teams that, I mean, Parisian suitor. How many examples of this are there where the best moment that ever happens is the time that they announce that the, the, the players are coming here. And then the rest of it's just like disappointment. So there is a fair amount of skepticism in my mind for everything here, not just because of the tragic sports moments. It's really because of how many times you've been told no, 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 this, now this is going to be very different because we've got this guy or we made this move. The interesting thing about the Vikings, though, is that that really wasn't the case with this team, that they hired a coach 
who was an offensive coordinator for another team, but not a lot of hype. If they had if they had hired Jim Harbaugh, now that would have been like hype meter explodes at that point. But they didn't hire Jim Harbaugh. They hired Kevin O'Connell. Raise your hand if you knew who Kevin O'Connell was before. I mean, I did, but did most people know? Like the offensive coordinator of the Rams, Sean McVay is their whole offense. You didn't know who he was. Quasi Adafo Mensa, had anyone have heard of him? And this offseason, they brought in some exciting players. Um, you know, they brought back Patrick Peterson. I think everyone felt like he was pretty good. And Harrison Phillips, uh, once again, very few people, unless you are super hardcore about football, had heard of Harrison Phillips. Jordan Hicks, same deal, kind of a veteran linebacker. And uh, they draft a safety who's not playing, like in, in Lewis scene. Uh, but even that, they didn't go for hype. They could have drafted a wide receiver, and maybe should have, uh, in the first round, and they traded out of it to go for more draft capital. So they didn't go for hype on almost anything. Zadarius Smith was a move that kind of came with a lot of question marks because he had failed a physical for the Baltimore Ravens, and he comes here on a cheap contract. So you're looking at him like, how's he walking? Does he look okay? Is his back fused together all right? Right? He'd come off back surgery. Like, who thought that he was going to do what he's done? And one of their best draft picks in recent years, yes, is Justin Jefferson, but is also Christian Derrissaw, a left tackle. There wasn't really, like, bringing back Kirk Cousins is not hype for this team. It was more of, are they really going to be able to do something with these people who are largely the same with just a few changes? And the answer so far has been very much yes. But it's interesting to me that most of the time where it implodes is when the team doesn't stick with it. And if you're going to criticize the Wolves for anything, it's that, that they were pretty close and developing some players. And then they went like, no, 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 no. We're bringing in new people. A-Rod's here, possibly. Uh, and uh, we need hype. That's what we need. So you got hype, but you don't have a whole lot of wins. Uh, we'll talk with Jace Frederick uh, later about that. So we'll take a break. Eric Eager from Sumer Sports, one of the smartest data scientists covering football, is going to tell us what the numbers are saying about how excited you should be about the Vikings' 8-1 and one start. We'll take a break. We shall return. Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. All right, back on the Lake Show, Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake of Purple Insider. If you haven't checked that out, purpleinsider.com. And joining me from Sumer Sports, formerly of Pro Football Focus, he has been on here with me when I fill in before, Eric Eager, also a Minnesotan. And Eric, I feel like I have the perfect Minnesota native topic, which is how jaded should Vikings fans be as they look at an 8-1 and one start to their season, your thoughts. Oh, wow. I, I, I did write an article for Purple Insider, my, in my opinion, the, the best uh, outlet for Vikings news about how they kind of reminded me of the, the 06 club. I'm, I'm moving off of that a little bit. I, I think that, you know, Vikings fans, you know, th- this team kind of reminds me a little bit in both good ways and bad ways of last year's Rams team. And, and so, you know, does that mean they're going to win the Super Bowl? Does that mean they're going to make a deep run? No, but the, I do think that there are some characteristics that should make Vikings fans pretty optimistic this year. Okay, so I, I like the comparison because the Rams last year were really driven by megastars. Like, at, at every turn, if they needed something big, they got it from Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, 
Odell Beckham and Vaughn Miller show up. It was just like stars only on that team, and the rest was filled in with whoever was around. It sort of feels the same way with the Vikings, where it's Justin Jefferson makes God's reception, and then you have Patrick Peterson with two interceptions. He's going into the Hall of Fame at some point. Like It's been their stars, Zadarius Smith, Daniil Hunter. These guys are getting sacks, and everything else is a little rickety, but that's enough sometimes, like big players making big plays at the biggest times to at least put you at the top of a very mediocre NFC. Yeah, well, and you, you just hit it, right? Like the, the NFC is not good. You even saw the Eagles last night lose to the – they're always going to be called the Washington football team to me. Like, you know, the Washington football team takes down the Eagles last night. And you just see kind of how mediocre it is. But you, you also hit on something, and this was, I think – you know, one thing that you talked about, and, and we, you know, the Vikings team has been injured at the margins quite a bit over the last few years. And one of the ingredients of the Rams, you know, sort of doing well was, you know, they, and they, the Vikings haven't done this, but like they trade away their top picks. They get guys on the bottom rung of the roster. And those guys like aren't great, but they're not hurt. And, you know, the Vikings, when you look at like their injury report week to week, now I know it got a little worse last week. But, like, week to week, that injury report is a lot smaller than everybody else's team is. And we saw that that's the Los Angeles Rams influence um, from, you know, the, the Rams having, I believe, out of the last eight years, uh, you know, seven of them in the top, like, ten in terms of football outsiders adjusted games lost metrics. So, you know, it's, it's the stars and scrubs, and the scrubs staying healthy is a huge deal uh, for the Vikings. And the, the last part is their stars at premium positions, edge with the Darius Smith left tackle with Christian Derrissaw, wide receiver with uh, Justin Jefferson, and corner with Patrick Peterson. Like, those are, you know, those guys are playing like stars, and, and, and the other guys are not a disaster. How does one put into context what Justin Jefferson is doing? I, I feel like it reminds me of peak Julio Jones, where the Atlanta offense could be mostly Julio Jones, and then other people just kind of do your jobs. And, and that's what it was on Sunday. Like, TJ Hawkinson made a good catch, and Adam Thielen made a good catch, and Delvin Cook had one run, but it was a really good run. And, like, that's kind of all you need when one guy will do absolutely everything else. Yeah, and, and this is a franchise that has had great wide receivers. Chris Carter was my favorite player growing up, Randy Moss. But, like, it's it's weird because this kind of reminds me of that 0-2 Vikings where they go Moss, and then it was, like, Dwayne Bates, Derek Alexander, Byron Chamberlain, and, like, no one else. And we and the Vikings back then were really, like, they couldn't win. They won six games. They You know, they were limited. And, like, that was, that's what makes Justin Jefferson, what he's doing, so much more impressive because – the rest of the offense, like Adam Thielen is, you know, we, we lost him. Like, we've seen the last of him, I think, as an elite player. You know, K.J. Osborne's fine, but not great. Um, and, you know, they're not getting much out of the tight end until they, they traded for T.J. Hawkinson. And they're still winning football games because Jefferson is just above and beyond. I mean, this is, this is like Randy Moss plus right now uh, as far as what they're getting out of him. I mean, he was double covered on that play in overtime, and Kirk hit him between two guys. Like, I, I just – he's doing things at the wide receiver position that I don't even think we've seen Randy Moss do uh, in a Vikings uniform. Yeah, I saw a lot of people after that game getting defensive about Randy Moss. Like, look, folks, 
Terry Bradshaw played for the Steelers, and then Ben Roethlisberger did. You can celebrate both of them, and what Jefferson is doing is putting his name right up there with Moss. Now, Moss had this greater impact in the broad scheme of things with the franchise, right? Like he brought so many people into the Minnesota Vikings franchise uh, as fans, where, of course, Justin Jefferson is not having that sort of iconic impact. But as far as his performance goes, he had seven contested catches the other day. If you have three, you had a monster game. Like that was one of the, the, simply one of the greatest receiving games ever based on the degree of difficulty of the catches he made. It was not just one iconic catch. There were like five or six. He had a Chris Carter toe tap by the sideline. He had one where he went up over somebody for a touchdown. I mean, it was, it was Superman stuff from him. Yeah, and it was kind of like back in the day when, you know, you and I would watch old Vikings games, right? And it's like they need a play, and Jeff George will run play action and throw the ball deep, and Moss is 15 yards behind everybody. You saw that, like, you're seeing that, and Moss had Carter with him, right? And Jake Reed, and, like, this is a guy who's kind of doing it all by himself. I know Cook has had some plays in the run game, um, but, you know, you look at the Saints game. They're reeling. They just gave up a game, a go-ahead score. Kirk just has to drop back and throw an alley-oop to Jefferson and they're in field goal range, right? You know, it's like last game, it's like you're watching this game and you're just like, when is, you know, it's just going to be Jefferson here. Like, go to, Je-, you know, and it's, it just covers so much. And, in fact, it, I think if you're a Vikes fan, the only frustration is why aren't you leading by 30 points because you just should do that every single play. But, you know, it's, the only frustration, I think, with this team is that they wait until – he's needed before they do that when they could open up some really big leads on teams that they just went to Jefferson early and often in games. And I think that to me is the one I think that has been a perma frustration. If you're a Vikes fan since Jefferson's been in the league, Eric eager of Sumer sports co-hosts the Sumer sports show with former NFL general manager, Thomas Dimitrov. Great show. been listening to it lately. Uh, okay. With Kirk. It Sunday was a great example. There's something you use as a saying that I'm going to steal from you, that he lit the house on fire and then put it out. I mean, <laughs> they, they got behind by 17 points in that game, and it's not to downplay what it took to come back because in the second half, you could not have asked for anything more from Kirk Cousins. He looked like John Elway. Like making play after play, getting hit, getting sacked, and then making a play down the field. So all credit to, to come back in the game, but his overall statistics are the worst that he has ever had, which I I guess, how do we reckon with what his numbers are saying, what his PFF grades are saying, but then with the fact that they're winning and he's come through five fourth quarter drives from Kirk Cousins, whoever would have thought. Yeah, I've done a little bit of a calculation where if you look at Kevin O'Connell, if you look at fourth down decisions, you look at two point conversion decisions. And I think most importantly, you look at timeouts not wasted He's added about a quarter of a win to this team, which doesn't feel like a lot, but a quarter of a win would be the second or third most valuable player on the team. Uh, if you look at like wins above replacement, I think, you know, Kirk's numbers and, and, you know, Kirk has kind of been the same quarterback as he's always been. The issue is, it's like at the end of the last two seasons, they've been behind a lot in the fourth quarter and the, and the end of halves. And because Jefferson is so amazing, he can pick up 75 yards and a touchdown and sort of turn, you know, add a half a yard to his yards per attempt and add a touchdown to his ledger and add 75 yards to the whole thing. This year, because the coach has been, in my opinion, such a positive relative to previous coaches, like they're not minus whatever, 25 points in the two minute like they were last year. They're not 
you know, in, you know, they're not like getting, you know, worked at the end of the games because they don't have enough timeouts, all this kind of stuff, I think like makes the game less on Kirk Cousins' shoulders. And so the majority of the game, Kirk is doing a lot of the same stuff. It's third and eight, and he's throwing a minus two-yard check down to Alexander Madison. He's doing all those same things. I, th- I think weirdly, like Kirk is really good at picking apart a soft zone defense uh, that can't disguise coverages and stuff when they're behind, they're just behind less because of, you know, a, an easier schedule, of course, and, and b a better, you know, a defense that's making more plays and see a coach that is putting him in better positions. Like th- this is not to throw shade at Kirk cousins, but like Kirk's kind of always been this guy in neutral game situations. And because this team has gotten better results this year, most of the games are putting him in situations where averaging 6.6 yards per pass attempt is who he is and perfectly fine, I guess. You know, it kind of tells you about like the difference between the fantasy statistics and things like that and how much the situation really impacts what the numbers are because I think a lot of people if you hadn't I mean if you hadn't looked at his numbers you might say well this is kind of the best version that they've had because this is the one that comes through at the right times but they've also just been behind in the fourth quarter five times in these wins which just doesn't seem like it's able to sustain so uh, put me in the right spot here because there's a part of me that says you can't just win every game by one score on a, on a fourth quarter drive. Like that's going to go wrong for you a couple of weeks in a row at some point. But there's also this Kirk Cousins who seems to be more confident flinging the ball up to Justin Jefferson, which I feel like could be a, a thing. Right. Like that if he's suddenly yeah. gotten the whole team behind him for the first time in his entire career and the organization behind him and, and his coach says, Throw that ball up to Justin Jefferson. I believe in you. Like If he keeps doing that, suddenly his average depth of target has started to creep up, and he's been doing it more and more each week, that he could actually get better as he's gone along and kind of even out some of the things that maybe were lucky early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm an analytics guy, but like, there's an aspect of football where these things are connected, right? And, and they're not – any individual statistic for any player is not going to capture this. Like. There, you, you had a great tweet, I think, in the Washington game where you threw an interception at the end of the half. You said, I like that throw. And I like that throw, too. Like, I think that there's a part of going after, going, attacking another team. You know, I said this on your, your podcast, like, right before the season. I was like, when you, whenever you sign a quarterback to short-term deals, he's pl- not only playing for you, but he's playing for his next team. And, you know, I don't know. Kirk is still on a short-term deal, but I get the impression that he has gotten some assurance from the folks in the building, like, look, Kirk, like, you can throw an interception. Things will be fine. And, and I, you know, you don't think that him going after and being aggressive and taking, like, hits. I mean, the guards for this team are horrendous. Taking hits and, and still standing in there and trying to make plays, he, 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 that doesn't affect Patrick Peterson being aggressive on the ball late in the game. Like, I think, you know, you go as your quarterback goes. And, you know, there's a part of this. And, like, you know, Kirk Cousins is kind of doing some of the things that his detractors, me, you know, one of them, have wanted him to do for four years, which is, Stand in there, you know, be willing to make a mistake and, and lead this team. And, like, I think that there's, there's, there's second-order things where you look at this defense and they're doing things aggressively. They're, they're, they're not afraid to lose. And it's, I think, partially because the quarterback on the other side is, is doing some things that are aggressive. And, and it really a, a turncoat for him because in, in recent seasons it felt like for much of the game he was doing things not to lose. Okay, 30-second question here for you before we wrap up. You're from here. You are a Minnesota native, Eric. What was the team that, of any sport, you thought this is for real? This is really going to happen when you were growing up in Minnesota. 
Well, 98, that team lost on my 13th birthday to the Falcons <laughs> in the NFC. Ch- so oh. that was the one. But I think that's easy for everybody. But the one for me that really hurts is the 06 Twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, Liriano, uh, uh, Liriano Santana, you know, all you know, Marno, Bauer. Like, it, that team was that team was sad destiny, and they got swept, of course. Mm. Uh- it does happen. It does happen from time to time around here. Uh, Eric, really appreciate uh, all of your time and your contributions to Purple Insider as well. Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Take care. All right, we'll take a quick break. Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. President Trump will talk at some point. We don't know when, but when he does, he will be on the air here. You will hear what he has to say. Uh, but it says on the TV here that he is expected to announce a 2024 run, so... I guess that is uh, potentially very big news. So we'll be right back here on WCCO. All right, Matthew Collar here in for Henry Lake tonight. And uh, I want to talk real quick about social media. Um, So I've been on Twitter since I was in college a long time ago. Uh, Or for some of you, I'm sure you're saying like, oh, you had Twitter in college? Well, I had a payphone. Like that's how everything works. Uh, But yeah, like I was in college And a teacher said, you you guys should all start Twitters because there's going to be this kind of boom of social media. And uh, shout out to her. She was exactly right. And I think that might have been like 2011, 2012. And I've been on ever since. You know, you follow a lot of sports. There's so many things you can find out about, so many things you can learn from Twitter It's also kind of a scary place sometimes because of misinformation that gets shared through these social media sites. Facebook went through that with the uh, 2020, no, 2016 election. It was with a lot of the misinformation and the Russian bots and all the things that come through social media that is bad, including, um, you know, bullying, harassment, like the number of people who just pretty much seem to live on social media to attack other people that uh, that becomes you know an unhappy experience sometimes. But as I've watched, just picking up on things here or there, Elon Musk buying Twitter and then struggling to figure out in real time what to do with it as he sort of tweets his way through it. Uh, and then you know some of the people who want to defend what he's doing, and you know it becomes a whole becomes a whole topic that I want nothing to do with, right? I just want the website to exist and follow sports through it, and that's all I really want it for. But it has made me think a little bit about what life was like before that, because I am old enough for that, and I was trying to remember what our social media was like when I was in high school. We didn't have texting and my gosh, even just text messages would have changed my life by a lot. Like having to call a girl on the phone was too terrifying for me. I married my first girlfriend when we met in college. I couldn't call girls on the phone in high school, so just couldn't do it. Uh, But I I landed a great one, luckily. But I wondered about like, boy, would that have been easier to, to ask people out if we had had text messages? And, you know, then there was sort of Facebook and AOL Messenger away messages. Uh, We've always had some ways of putting our own thoughts out into the universe, right? And connecting with other people. But there has never been anything quite like Twitter. And I guess all I'm saying is that I hope that Elon Musk doesn't blow it up. It kind of seems like it might be going that way. But I want him to clean it up, not blow it up. 
and make it a better place for everybody. And uh, being hopeful doesn't always turn out as Vikings fans and all the sports fans know, but I'm really interested to see what ends up happening with it. Like, does this even last six months and he just has to sell it off? I have no idea, but it'll really be worth watching. All right. uh, Trump might talk soon and Jace Frederick will definitely talk at some point. We'll be right back here on WCCO.